Are you a roofing contractor with a new innovation? Have you ever wondered how new technologies and roofing get to market? Let's talk about the supply chain in the commercial roofing industry. Welcome to the Roofing Business Builder Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel Laxtons, your personal commercial roofing guru. And today we're going to take a closer look at the supply chain in the commercial roofing industry. Now, before we get into that, let's set up an intention for the day. Now, the intention for today is I am a creator, not a competitor. I am a creator, not a competitor. So have you ever felt like you're always trying to fight for your spot in the roofing industry and that everyone's doing this and, oh, they took my job and this and that? Well, that always leaves you feeling a little empty, doesn't it? And when we feel that way, our feelings are transferred into our employees because they're listening to our self-talk when we say, oh, that person took another way, took a job away from us again, and oh, how are we going to deal with this? And what happens is once you have that one roofer that took something away, next thing you know that you'll find another and another, and, and it seems like you're just always caught in this negative spiral. So on the other hand, if you say to yourself that I am a creator, not a competitor, then what happens is you start to create something that you're sharing something that's enlightening and that is helping people. And when you share that, you're, you're, you're sharing that you're creating something of positive change uh, where you're helping families, you're helping children, you're helping schools or whatever you're, you're into uh, in your special niche. You're going to feel happier and that, that's going to translate into your employees and into your customers. They're going to feel that you're always happy because why? You're not trying to compete. You're creating. Same is innovation and the supply chain in the commercial roofing industry. Now, I have a special guest again. <laughs> I am here. I'm still special. Leah Laxons is here to join, join us. And we're going to talk a little bit about like IRE because that's when we see most of these new products come out, isn't it? Yeah, it makes sense that people want to get inside of this industry. It's a $47 billion a year industry with more than 100,000 commercial roofing contractors out there. So people have great ideas and they want to bring them in and we see them year after year at IRE. Some of them make it and some of them don't because a lot of these ideas come from outside of the industry. Yeah. So it's interesting watching them try to navigate how to get them to market. So the question is, is do you, listening to this podcast, do you have a roofing industry idea and you do you want to get it to market? Well, how does that work? So we're going to talk about the supply chains. How would you break down the how roofing materials gets into the hands of the roofer and on, onto the roofs. Yeah, so I think it's a very interesting supply chain because we're talking about the chain from the point of inception to it ending on the consumer's roof, whether residential or commercial. I guess we're primarily focused on commercial here. So inside of commercial, really the entire industry as a whole, you have a very limited number of manufacturers and distributors that are holding a, the primary amount of all the relationships with the commercial and residential roofing contractors, mm -hmm. who in turn hold the majority of the relationships with the building owners. So you have about 10 manufacturers responsible for the majority of all the sales in the industry. Exactly. Now, would you say that all those manufacturers 
uh, go through the same distribution channels or how do they differ? Well, definitely the majority of products are being sold through distribution. You have distributors around the country, uh, even in very small um, areas, who basically are the point of contact for the roofing contractor. He's seeing them on a weekly basis. These are ABC, SRS, RSG, and a number of smaller local distributors who are selling a significant and the majority of the roofing products that come into the market. Now, that being said, there are definitely niche manufacturers who sell direct and target a very specific uh, roofing contractor client as well, mm-hmm. who don't go through the, this traditional distribution model. No, they s- usually sell direct. Yeah, th- but yet for the most part, distribution has the stronghold. If you're looking at quantity of contractors, a product that you want available to as many roofing contractors as possible, then the distribution model is where you would see that. Right. Now, in the way we see it, there's pros and cons to both. Now, for example, if you're in one of the the smaller niche manufacturers, uh, you may have a lot of uh, people giving you attention. Uh, the sales staff may actually be pushing your product. It, they're easy to train a small sales staff to push your product, and it's going out to all of their their roofers. Whereas if you're going to the distribution model, you may have to talk to one of these large ones that you just mentioned and sell them on the idea. But then there's also that problem is each of their uh, salespersons uh, are, they're all throughout the whole country. Yes. And so to train each of them to think about your product and to uh, offer that product may take some time and money. The, the, a lot of times different ones will use incentive programs yes. uh, to get the, the distributor to push their product. Generally, when someone's trying to break in, you know, you don't want to be just another one of the many, many, many SKUs that they have available to stock, mm-hmm. right? And they're only going to stock you if they see the contractors are using it. So sort of like chicken and egg, again, you want to get stocked so that these guys see it and buy it. They don't want to stock you until the roofer is asking for it, right? Exactly. So um, a lot of companies will, you know, you're buying the relationship essentially, whether you're going through an independent rep network, a distributor network, or a manufacturer. You have to buy the relationship that they have. You can buy this in two ways. One, goodwill, because you just have a kick-ass product they want. Mm -hmm. Really, really difficult, (laughs) because even if you have an amazing product, they're overwhelmed, right? Right. Two, you do a back-end incentive, where they sell a certain amount, they get a certain bonus, uh, and that is a big incentive, specifically in distribution, in an important what does the way. Bonus go to generally the branch itself. Sometimes back to the overall uh, entity, sometimes but in the general, salesperson. If, if, yes. if they keep track of which salesperson is selling that, like product. spiffs, yeah, which yeah. Are, spiffs are really common in all other construction industries, and not so much in roofing, which is kind of crazy to me. Right. Well, some manufacturers may look at a spiff as um, a bribe. Yeah, but I think, you know, it certainly could be misconstrued that way if this spiff is going back to someone unaffiliated in the industry, like an architect or designer. You know, that's where I start to see a real gray area. um, And ultimately, I would leave that up to AIA to make a conclusion about if that's ethical or not. Uh, Coming from outside the industry, it certainly... 
um, smells unethical, <laughs> but I don't, I don't want to make a determination so, for the architect industry. But on the roofing side, you know, if you have someone who's in the industry and holds certain relationships and they're out pushing your product, I think a spiff is a great idea to reward them for the work they've already done. And you and I believe in uh, the uh, reward mechanisms instead of disciplinary or... Or you know, it's like, well, if you don't do that, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna make your life miserable. Well, that's that's kind of archaic. Yeah. <laughs> so it's much better to have a carrot to, to make someone hop towards. And even in talking about uh, the uh, spiffs, uh, a lot of times that spiff will go to the roofing contractors' top salesman. You know, like a lot of times if it's yeah. a vacation. In other industries, that's how it works, yeah, right? exactly. So, but briefly, I might mention two other things. Now, Lee and I have experience in the innovation industry because we do hold a patent. Yes, yeah, not inside of roofing, but no. definitely. It's a health and beauty product. But the, the process of hiring an engineering firm, uh, design, and then redesign. Because, you know, your first time you come out with your product is not going to be the, the one that ends up being the one you sell. You're going to have no. one or two or three generations because you're going to find something along the way that this product doesn't work as well as I thought it was going to. And then you have to do a redesign. And each of those redesigns can cost up to $20,000. Yeah. So you'll have over $100,000 in this idea. So now the secondary thing I wanted to mention too, it's not to discourage anyone that has an idea. But the thing is, is analyze what kind of money this idea will make you. Because for you to bring something to the industry is the most beautiful anthropologic thing that you get. <laughs> I mean, but what I'm saying, <laughs> no, not anthropologic, but it's a... Um, it's a, a uh, creation, right? You're adding you're, value. But you're, it's almost, you're, you're going to be doing this for free. You're going to spend $100,000 and then you find out that maybe... But you don't have to. No. Because really the correct way, you know, generally what happens is someone has a great idea, they immediately want to guard that idea. Mm-hmm. So they've already put themselves in competitor mode, right? And they want to go out, get the patent, get the trademark before they ever tell another person about the idea. Ah. And this was born out of uh, a certain culture there was around ideas that were stolen in the early part of the 20th century, right? Like we all saw the windshield wiper movie, et cetera, et cetera. But what we have to know is that we live in a new time now where companies don't want to put so much money in R&D. They don't want to develop the idea themselves. They don't mind licensing an idea that already has value. Right. So... Like, the odds of someone stealing your idea is very low. And I think that's the first thing you have to come to grips with as being a creator is that create the idea without any concern about it getting stolen. Because what you need to do before you ever spend money on the patent and trademark is to find what? out that it's going to be a viable product in the industry. Plus, you got to know your price point because if it's a if it's an item that's only going to cost like two cents or yeah. or uh, maybe if it's less than fifty dollars, you're going to have a lot of hard. Uh, it's going to be hard to make any money to pay back to to hit the um, to hit the word break even or yeah point. yeah so, yeah exactly. So, so you have to have a proof of concept. And you want this before you patent it, which means you have to tell people about your idea and get feedback before you've ever spent all that money. I am a creator, not a competitor. Yes. Yes. Say that to yourself over and over. I am a creator, not a competitor. And then it, that fear goes away and you'll actually be able to, to do this. When do you think a person should start looking at patenting an idea? Well, it's 
it, first, again, you, you really should have, oh, it's, it's really hard because then you're also going to spend that money on the engineering. So to have a working model, it, it's almost better to find good-hearted people that are like you, bring this idea to um, trustworthy individuals, and then get their feedback on it. You, you're going to have to trust people. Uh, otherwise, you're going to spend a ton of money. Like I said, you could be in $100,000 and then only then realize that you're... Um, uh, the, the point of paying off what you spent uh, in sales may take 10 to 20 years before it actually starts paying you back. So, and, it, and then it may not even make it. So it's not, it's not worth it. So you definitely want to um, contact, uh, do your footwork early on before you spend a bunch of money. And especially in the patenting process can, can cost between 3000 to to $20,000 to actually patent it depending on how complicated yeah, you should be able to get are. a prototype and patent for under 30 grand but you still you know marketing the proof of concept is even more expensive um, so we even did the calculations on the one invention that we used to sell in our business and we thought oh my goodness that there's the, I mean, there was not enough money for the inventor on that product. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that's where it all starts is right away you have to look at, okay, inside of roofing, this is the idea I have. This is the piece of equipment that can revolutionize roofing, right? The um, the full fully automated roofing robot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? okay. okay, so how many, first of all, what is the price point of adoption? Mm-hmm. How many, what is your target? What number of consumers would you like to get of this product? There's 100,000 roofing contractors. Can you capture 10,000 of them? What's the price point at those 10,000 roofers that you need to be at for you to make money but for them to adopt it? So it's sort of navigating all of these statistics to come up with the formula for success, which can definitely be done because we've seen a lot of innovative products make it. Uh, But you have to either decide basically how you're going to come to market, right? Like A, are you going to go through the existing distribution network? B, are you going to go through a manufacturer that sells direct? C, are you going to sell direct to the roofer yourself, right? right? Like an Amazon sort of style, Amazon Facebook ads. You may have a product you could do that way, like ladders, uh, tie-offs, certain safety equipment. And later on, we'll, we'll talk about compatibility issues that will apply to that too. But yeah, it's... D, or could you sell it to just the largest contractors, the Tecta Americas, the Cinemarks? Well, then then you have someone that's actually uh, selling the product for you because to, uh, someone, someone like the, the large companies, they will teach their, 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 their salesmen mm-hmm. uh, because it's a different model than, say, a distribution model where it's going to be... They're, they're so uh, departmentalized across America um, that you may have one local uh, distributor that has people that like you, love your product, but then just, you know, one city away, they don't even know who you are. Yeah. They don't, they're, they're not interested yeah. in your product. And so you don't have consistency. Different relationships, right? We see this yes. like 100 miles apart, two distributors. The same brand have completely different manufacturer relationships. Yes. So this is a real thing. And lastly, the elephant in the room is someone like Tesla going to come in and just completely disrupt all of this infrastructure anyway. Right. Yeah. We, 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 have we all, everyone listening to the program, have you heard of uh, Solar City? Yeah. Yeah. So Elon Musk, you know, he started several companies um, 
but he bought Solar City, so now Solar City is under Tesla. Yes, but, very innovative technology, but their model is crazy because it major disruption. Right, they're fully integrated, so yeah. that means that they they don't need roofers; they are themselves the installers. Yes. But that's kind of problematic from what you and I when we look at that model. Uh, we, we wouldn't mind talking to Elon sometime over a scotch and explaining to him our concerns. I think I understand. So if you look at Elon Musk historically, what has he always done? He's taken industries that have low consumer confidence mm-hmm. and disrupted them for the better. Right. Online payments, space travel, the auto industry. So roofing, one would really have to say is just uh, another industry with low, very low consumer confidence. Look at the lawsuits within storm chasers here in Texas we've dealt with, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of really fantastic contractors, uh, even us ourselves, get sort of pushed under this umbrella of not being trustworthy because of the industry. So he's chosen this industry to disrupt. Will he be successful? You know, it's Elon. Who knows? Yeah, pretty much. He's <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, he's always in it for the long haul. He's the hardest yes, working. Yes. Yeah. So this sort of leads to an interesting, troubling model for the entire industry because if one can become vertically integrated and go direct to the building owner or the consumer, what happens to the existing infrastructure of distributors, manufacturers who are very solid? But let's admit, does anyone really know who? XYZ distributor is. No, that's a Like, does your neighbor know? (laughs) I mean, no residential or most commercial uh, building owners do not know what ABC, SRS, they don't don't know. And these are guys that have, like, spent money on having indie cars and who are amazing companies, right? Like, we love ABC, all of them, really, SRS. I think they all do an incredible job. But they're not connected to the end consumer, no. So what's this mean for disruption in the industry? It means it's ripe. It's ripe for it. Right. And having this knowledge, though, will help you to set up your company so that way you're you're prepared and integrated. But either way, just like when the paper companies went out of business, that's okay. They're still doing something else. So Polaroid goes out of business. Well, uh, Polaroid, they... The, the geniuses of Polaroid went into other types of markets. They pivoted. Yeah. Look at GAF, General Applied Film. They were in the. They would make literally make films for the the movie industry. Yeah. <laughs> and and now they're in the roofing. So, but we pivot. So no matter what you do, you can always pivot too. So we're always safe. No and I think what. you know, being that you've seen Tesla disrupt other industries, you know, sort of the blueprint. There's an opportunity here for existing manufacturers and distributors to adopt a similar model and disrupt by really capturing the end consumer, the corporate account. So you can either disrupt the yourself shopping center. or that you can find a uh, ancillary type of uh, instrument that Tesla would be attracted to use in the roofing industry. Yes, absolutely. So yes. lots of interesting stuff yeah. to talk about if you have a great invention a fantastic idea. Don't be discouraged because if you're a creator, then there's always room for more creation. Uh, you just have to disconnect a little bit from the amount of money you're going to make on it and understand that it is a, a process you have to be patient with. 
Yeah, and you need to have a lot of money in the bank, or you know, you, you can't do it. it. It may take five years before you actually start making the money back, and then then you're like, oh wow, I'm making millions of dollars. But but there's a little journey in between, so don't think that it's going to happen overnight. So that was a really good show. We talked about a lot of good things, but before we end the show, it's time for did you did know? You know? So did you know, Leah, and everyone listening? <laughs> Did you know that using any product for repairs can actually void a warranty? Mm, very true. <laughs> so, and why is that? Well, there's compatible issues with materials. Not all materials can lay on top of each other without a chemical reaction occurring. So, um, just throw some pookie on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we do know too um, that if you're an innovator, say you just came out with a product. And you got the engineering done. Maybe you're listening to this podcast. You're, you're already maybe several steps ahead or stages ahead. Here's the thing, though, is is your product compatible with the, the other products? So if someone's doing a repair and they're using your product during the, the process of the repair, is it possible that they're going to uh, void that warranty because your material is not made of the same material? So sometimes you might come out with a product, uh, but it, maybe you designed it for PVC. Well, then there's also TPO. So if you put this product on a PVC roof that maybe is compatible, but you put it on the TPO roof, it eats the TPO roof up. So um, one of the things would be a suggestion is you, we always use EPDEM as a slip sheet because it's usually pretty compatible with everything. In thermoplastics, yeah, it's one of the most compatible. Right. So you either make your design out of, out, out of um, a formulation of a, a type of EPDEM. Uh, but here's the thing is you're going to have to hire a scientist no matter what. But another another thing they could do is go to each, uh, most manufacturers have a, uh, have a science lab yes. where they do compatibility studies. So an engineering might, department, might be an R&D department, uh, and these are the ones you wanna approach if you have an idea like this. And even if you're not trying to use their supply chain, you want approval from them that it's not going to interact with their product because that goes a long way in sales. Yes. And so that's if you're an innovator. Now on the flip side, if you're a roofer and you're getting up on someone's roof to repair it, uh, find out what the material is first and then only use like materials. If it, this project is under warranty, you need to find out whose project or you know who's the manufacturer. Yes. Uh, call the manufacturer. If you're not licensed with them, yes, they will probably try to take that job. That's not going to be your job. Yeah. Just, just don't put too much time into it, but do the right thing and call the manufacturer. Why? Because we have to hold manufacturers responsible for their warranty so that we continue to make sure the consumer accepts and appreciates the roofing industry. Right. And overall, that consumer, I mean, like, God, the karma points are one million, right, on that? Exactly. That this guy's like, you literally called and I got this done for free. I've got 10 other buildings. I want you on it. The warranty runs out eventually, and you want to be yeah. the guy there getting but, that work. But if the warranty's out, then um, and you know that you're going to do the roof within the, the – you already have the customer saying, yes, we'll do the roof within six months or whatever, then that's okay because you're not going to have compatible problems with the, within maybe three to six months. You can start having those problems. So, But uh, no, be, do the right thing. Uh, hand it over to the manufacturer – so that way they can keep that warranty intact. So if there's another six years left on a warranty and you put incompatible products on there, one, you're gonna ruin, that'll ruin the roofer's name, and two, um, 
it's not right. You're stealing. You're st- you're actually sabotaging their six years of warranty that's left on a roof. Absolutely. So that's that's our part of. Did you know? So we'll just recap the show. Yeah. Um, so remember, if you have a, a new innovative product for the roofing industry, look at the existing supply chain uh, for avenues to sell to whatever your niche market of roofing contractor might be. Um, and we, we know that the, there are some uh, some manufacturers are in that niche market, so they may be smaller, uh, but they'll, their sales force can actually introduce your product into uh, they could be trained easily, more easily than the distribution. But the opposite is that the distributors have a much larger base of customers. Yes. And watch out for the disruptors. They're <laughs> here and they're coming fast. <laughs> yes. But you're safe. And uh, remember that you are a creator, not a competitor. So that's it. Thanks for listening to the Roofing Business Builder. And thank you for being on the show with you. We'll see you guys next week.